Get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. How many of you were not here last week? Just wave at me if you missed last Sunday for some reason, okay? Um, I encourage you in this series, if you can go on our podcast and find some time to listen, because each lesson is building on the next. And last week we talked about an important component. We talked about the call of God on our lives. And I cannot tell you how many people uh, messaged me this week with significant lengthy messages um, exp- expressing what the Lord did in their life. We had a testimony this morning of a man that came here last Sunday. He was just depressed, lots of things going on, did not want to come, hadn't really shared with his wife, but his wife said, we need to be there. Praise God for godly wives, all right? We need to be there. And how many of you know, when you're facing the biggest opposition in your life, many times it's because there's something on the other side of that opposition, that may be an answer or a breakthrough. And many times we quit when the opposition comes. This guy fortunately got here, and when the word of the Lord was spoken, that word pierced his heart. We shared last week from John chapter 15, God said, Jesus says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. That word exploded in this man's heart, and chains fell off, perspective changed, depression went out the window, and he just said, I cannot explain what God did to me last Sunday, the way God touched me. That's why corporate worship is important. That's why sitting under the Word of God, not my Word, the Word of God. It's not my words that change, it's God's Word that changes you. It's supernatural. God's Word penetrating, God's Word speaking, God's Word changing us. And so I want to encourage you, be faithful in your gathering together as a church family and sitting under the Word of God to hear what God is speaking to us corporately. It's very, very, very important. So let's take a look here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 and I'm reading this morning from the amplified version just because I like the way some of these different uh, versions highlight certain meanings okay so follow along with me it says for we are his workmanship that is his master uh, his own masterwork and his own work of art I just want to pause right there I hope that you're letting God's Word minister to you because most people, if they're honest, don't feel very talented, don't feel very precious, don't feel like they're a work of art. In fact, many of you feel like you're a piece of garbage or junk. Like when God was creating Adam and Eve, he ran out of parts and then he got to you and you got all the leftovers, you know? A lot of people feel that way. Uh, a lot of people feel like they started off pretty well and then they became a piece of junk or less than a work of art. But that's not God's view of you. How many of you know we need to believe what God says about us? God says you're a masterpiece. God took the time to create you, design you, and there's only one of you. And and until you believe that, it will never change your life. But the minute you start believing that, amazing things start to happen on your infrastructure. It says that we were created in Christ Jesus. That is, we're reborn from above, spiritually transformed and renewed. Um, I shared last week, this is really big news. Because it means that you have a script. And I want, I want to drive this point home too. Your life is not meaningless. Your life has a script. And, and some people say, you know, if God wrote my script, am I just some robot? Will you listen to me? If God designed you and God knows you inside and out, the Bible says that your steps are ordered of the Lord. Uh, how many of you know God's not having you ordered in some steps that, that's not going to lead to his maximum glory and your maximum joy? In other words, when God tells me he's got good works for me to walk into, I'm like, yeah, I think I'll get out of bed today. How about you? 
Why do I get out of bed? Because God has something that he wants to do every single day, every moment of our lives that God wants to work through us. There, if there's an author, that means that your life has a script. It means that your life has meaning. No author, no script. And we shared last week, you know, if there's an author, that means that, that the logical response to an author is worship. It means you acknowledge that you are not here by accident, that you're here by design. Now, just right there, this is this is stunning. Once you were not, now you are. Once you had no being, now you have being. Once you were nothing, going nowhere with no clue about life, now you realize there's a creator who has a story that he wants to express through you in a unique way that only you can exemplify, that only can be expressed through you. There's only one of you. It's pretty awesome. And so, look at Romans 12 with me. Romans 12, verse 1. Here's the way this thing works. If there's no God, people like to conveniently pretend like he doesn't exist. But if there's no God, then just stay home and, and be depressed and, and, uh, and take your life. Because the longer you belabor the point, the more miserable you're going to be. Because life's ultimately meaningless then, and you're going to die, and the worms are going to eat you, and that's going to be the end of your existence. I mean, that's the, that's the worldview of atheism. It's really depressing. But it's amazing to me that some people would rather cut off their head and bury it in the sands than simply acknowledge that there's a God who loves you and who created you and you're a masterpiece in his hands and he thinks about you and he loves you and he, he cherishes your life and you're a son or you're a daughter and, and he's proud of you and he takes pleasure and delight in you. Some people would rather cut their head off, bury it in the sand and pretend like there's no God and live in a meaningless world than simply acknowledge the existence of God Almighty. And I want to encourage you. Some people go, Pastor, how do I, how do I live out this Christian life? And, and how do I get to know God? Uh, this is not rocket science. I'm going to show you. Look at the, look at the text with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, I urge you, this is strong language, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, or, or, or on behalf of God's mercies, in fact, on the, on the basis of the fact God has poured out His mercy on your life. How many of you have been recipients of God's mercy? Every hand should go up, whether you've received the mercies or not. If you're breathing this morning, you are a recipient of the mercy of God. If you're alive right now, you're alive because of the mercy of God. He's, Paul says, on the basis of these mercies, he's telling us to do something. What is he telling us to do? Present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves. I think we sang about that this morning, didn't we? Being set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God. Look at what it says next. Which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. Let me sort through all this. You don't need an angelic visitation to yield your life to Christ. You don't need a burning bush. You don't need a sign, a wonder, or a miracle to submit your life to Christ. Here's how it works. I'm alive. I didn't create myself. I didn't create any of this. There must be an incredibly smart, awesome, powerful God who did because the signs of his presence are all around me. Therefore, the logical, rational conclusion is worship. Does this make sense? I'm just telling you, be logical. Be rational. Connect some dots. If he's there, then you're going, God, 
You're, you gotta be incredibly awesome and you gotta have a purpose for me. And how about this? I wanna know you and I wanna experience you and I wanna make sure that whatever you intended for this poem right here, that you, it finds full expression in my life. Anybody with me? It sets you on a path to knowing God. The God who you know exists and who is there. This is just a starting point, but it's, it's a connecting of the dots that I want you to see. Stop. I had somebody tell me one time, well, I'm never going to follow God unless I see a burning bush just like Moses. Well, you're going to be waiting a long time, Mr. Smarty Pants. Because you know what? Moses didn't demand the burning bush. God just shows up. And most of the time, the destiny of God and the call of God is something that comes unannounced. Because he's God and he doesn't need to inform anybody about what he's doing or how he's doing it. So if you're sitting out there today and you got this long list of things that you're expecting God to do before you fully yield yourself to him, I'm just telling you, you're going to be waiting a long, long time because the issue is pride. It is a logical, humble, rational response to give everything that you are to a God who created you. That's the starting point. That's where you begin to move then from that point into what Pastor Dick ministered on, and that's the intimacy with God and the knowledge of God and walking with God and what that looks like. We share that not only did God create us, but he called you. He called you. You didn't pick up the phone and call him. Let me just share this. In our normal experience... Some of you said, yeah, Pastor, I remember when I called out to the Lord and I asked him to save me and I prayed a prayer. And guess what? God came in and saved me. But what you don't understand is the phone was ringing before you picked it up. On God's side, on God's side, the Holy Spirit had been chasing you down. Setting you up, bringing you to a point of desperation, brokenness, a repentance, feeling sorry for your sin. That's all the work that God did before you picked up the phone and got this great idea that you were going to submit your life to Christ. It wasn't your idea. It was the call of God on your life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In other words, you were apprehended by somebody who's crazy about you and who loves you and who wants to reveal himself to you. You were called by God. This is the good news. You were not called to a job description. You were called to a relationship. Isn't it great to know God doesn't expect anything from you other than this, to have a relationship with him, to love him, to enjoy him, to worship. That's why, to me, the word and worship go hand in hand. Some people say, what's the word that's the most important? Well, I don't know if it's the most important. It's equally important because you know what else God loves? God loves us to come into his presence and just say, Father, I love you. Jesus, thank you. God, I want to know you. I want, I want to spend time. with Just your presence here honors God. When you worship, it honors him. He takes pleasure in the fact that we're here to worship him. And then we get our hearts all mushy and gushy, right? And then what happens after that? Then the word of God, the seed falls on some good soil. And we're changed. The word and the spirit, they go hand in hand. We need both worship and, and the study of God's word. We're called to relationship with him. And how many of you know... Our lives get to be the most fruitful when it flows out of intimacy with Jesus. When you love Jesus, there's nothing you wouldn't do for him. When you love Jesus, your eyes, your vision changes, your perspective changes, and you begin to want to do what he does. You begin to want to touch people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When your heart's full, ministry is easy. When your heart's empty, ministry is so religious and routine and rough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I never want to minister out of anything but passion for God, which gives me passion for people. 
So the more intimate we get with Jesus, called to him, called by him, called for him, then we begin to express the, the unique story God wants to write through your life. Which kind of brings me to where we were last week. There were so many people who said, Pastor, I felt like I had messed up my story. I, I, you know, I, I've been writing the story and, and it's not really, I'm stuck. Anybody ever have like writing class and you're supposed to write that essay and you just keep wadding up the paper and throwing it in the garbage? Some of you that, Joe's like, yeah, that's exactly, that's a, that was for you, Joe. All right. Some of you feel like every day you're just rotting up the paper and trying to start over. And I encourage you last week, it was a powerful metaphor. Give God the pen and let him start writing a story of your life. Stop trying to write the story yourself. God's a much better author than we are. He is a great author and he's got a great story to share with us. Some of you felt like, you know what, I've been, I, I messed up my life too much. And my, my life, I'm not going to be able to really see this epic story because my life has been a disaster and I made bad mistakes. Now I want my son Joel to come up here and share with you a little bit this morning. Give Joel a hand. I put him on the spot. I put him on the spot first service, but we were meeting together this week with a group of men and, and Joel shared something that was an insight that as soon as he said it, I thought, you know what, there are other people out here today that need to hear this, and we need to we need to let the Holy Spirit set some people free from some wrong thinking or feeling like somehow your life has been too messed up that God can't really do anything through you. So what was that revelation? Share that with us. So we were reading this awesome book, uh, and this guy, it just kind of takes you through this, this guy's journey with his wife, marriage struggles, all of that stuff. Uh, and the Lord was really just bringing back to mind kind of my walk with him and uh, just everything that I've gone through personally. Um, and really just brought me back to a season in my life where I really began to fall into a lot of sin patterns, whether it was sexual sin or drugs or alcohol. Just I felt like my life had completely fallen apart. Um, and it was so hard for me because I had such great parents. I had such a great example of how man is, a man is supposed to treat a woman, how you treat your children. Um, it wasn't like I grew up in a dysfunctional family, so I really felt like I had known all the right answers, if you will. Um, I really knew how to walk with God, if you will. I saw a dad who was reading his word in the morning and doing all these things, and then I was going out and getting high. So it was just such a, a disconnect for me, um, but I really began to realize that I felt like God's grace was only for the non-believer, or the, some people who had never heard of him before in their life, that me, someone who had known better my whole life, was in a way like disqualified by my actions. It was like I knew the right answers to the test, but I failed on purpose. Um, and that really held me in bondage for years and years and years and years because I just felt like I was, again, disqualified from this, this calling that God, God had on for me. I like what Joel said because some of you um, have come from maybe a rough life before Jesus and, and man, the good news was that God still loves you and that the grace of God is here to wipe away your sin and give you a fresh start. I mean, you know, that's good news. But this is what hit me. And, and man, I, I, if, if the church has ever failed to communicate this message, God forgive us. Is there still grace when you know better? Is there still grace... When you, as you, Joel said, you know the answers to the exam, but you still fail. And the good news is, help me, is there grace for Christians who still fail? Yes. And unfortunately, somehow in the church, I've seen us become 
harder on Christians. I mean, we got, you could live the most disastrous, sinful lifestyle before Christ and come in these doors and everybody would be arms wide open. And we know that there's an abundance of grace for broken, hurting people. But why is it that when we get saved, we somehow feel like the grace dried up and that there's no grace for us after we've said yes to Christ, but we're still not fully matured yet? How many of you aren't fully mature yet besides me? All right. Good. All right. So there's still grace if you're in process. And I said, Joel, you got to share that because just right now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but how many of you can relate to what Joel said and you felt like there's not been grace for you on the other side of the cross? I mean, look at that. Look, I want you to look around because there's probably 50 people raising their arms. Now, now, so, okay, so we're all having this great meeting here and we're all identifying with ourselves. Hey, good, man. I'm glad you feel that way too. But here's the point. Like with Joel, I said, Joel, you got to let go of the shame of the past, the brokenness of the past, the ways of the past. You've got to get that blanket of shame off of you, and you have to believe that God is standing, Christ is standing with his arms wide open to offer freedom and fresh grace. Every His mercies are new every morning. And here's the cool thing, that the stuff that we've walked through that hasn't been so pretty, God turns that stuff into something beautiful. And so we've just been encouraging Joel, especially recently, God's really doing a softening on his heart. Such a powerful call in his life um, that, you know what, throw away the lies of the past. Get the grace you need for now and minister to people out of how God has set you free and let it be a powerful message. So can we just pray, all of you that raised your hand, I want you to get your hand up again. We say, God, that's me. Joel, I want you to pray, and I want you to ask God for freedom for all these people to reach out for the grace that's theirs now in Christ. These are people that are believers, but we still need grace. Pray, pray for us, will you? Lord, I just ask that you would translate your heart to us, God. So many times, Lord, I know we look to you from our own lenses, our own hurts. God, I pray that we would begin to see ourselves the way you see us, Lord. God, will you just break the religious spirit off of this congregation, Lord? We are so hungry for your presence, God. God, we ask that these people, God, who have been stuck in sin, whether it's sexual sin or whatever it may be, God, that they have been stuck in bondage because of their own fear, God, because they don't believe that your grace is for them. God, we just ask that you would dispel that myth, Lord. Reveal your heart to these people, God. Show them your unconditional love, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. I love you. I'm proud of you. I love you. I can't read. You know, this is what I want to encourage some of you with. The Bible says, hey, thanks. What a son. You got any Kleenex over there too? You know, the Bible says um, that God is the author. And uh, now this is why theology is important. I want you to hear this. If you chose God then your job is to finish the story. If you started your story, your job is to finish your story. But if God started your story, thank you, Chris. 
If God started your story, then who's going to finish it? This is really important theology I'm laying out right here. I am resting in the fact that God apprehended me and saved me. And the reason he did is because he's got an amazing plan for my life, an amazing story. And here's the cool thing about all this. He's not done with me. And he's still working things out. He, he's still putting all the parts and pieces together. But listen, he's not going to stop until he's done. I'm telling you, God's not done with any of you. There's breath in your lungs. He's not done with you. The story is still being written. The only person that's quitting on you is you. God's not quitting on you. God's still working on you. God still wants to write a beautiful poem through your life. Don't you dare quit on the author. He is going to finish the story in your life. How many of you believe this? But God, that last chapter was really cruddy. I get it. Let me tell you an interesting folk tale, an old African folk tale that I think captures what I'm trying to say. There was this king and his good buddy, best friend. They grew up together. They did everything together. They really loved each other. They had an amazing friendship. And this king's friend had this annoying little saying, at least it was annoying to the king. After every circumstance, whether it was good or bad, this, this friend would say, this is good, this is good. One day, the king and his friend were out hunting, and the friend loaded the rifle for the king, and when the king fired the rifle, evidently the rifle had been misloaded, and it blew up, and it blew the king's thumb off. His friend's re response was characteristic. He said, this is good. That just ticked the king off. And the king with one thumb missing said, this is not good. Blood running down his arm. This is not good. And he got so angry with his friend that he had him thrown in prison. Well, later on, the king went out without his friend, went out hunting. And he was captured by a group of cannibals. The cannibals tied him up to a post. And they were getting ready to prepare the evening meal. And just as the cannibal was coming up to light the fire to uh, prepare the evening roast so to speak, they noticed that this king was missing a thumb. Turns out that the cannibals had this ritual in their tribe that they would never eat anyone who wasn't whole. So they untied the king and they let him go. So the one thumb king feels terrible because he realizes his best friend has been in prison for a year. So he runs into the jail and he apologizes profusely to his friend. And he says, you know, I'm so sorry for sending you to jail. I'm sorry. You know, this is, he said, this is not good. To which his friend said, no, this is good. The king still didn't understand where his buddy was coming from. He said, what do you mean this is good? I sent my best friend to prison for a year. The friend said, no, this is good. He said, if I hadn't been in jail, I would have been with you. <laughs> and he said, my thumbs are not missing. <laughs> How many of you know the Lord knows what he's doing? And some of you are walking around with a missing thumb and you're going, this is not good. But that's not what God says. God says he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and trust him and are called according to his purpose. That's the good news of God. And so I want to give you very quickly here, and then and I'm talking about very quickly, and then I want the, the team to come. I'm going to plow through this, all right? We're going to impart some things this morning. I, I want you to be hungry for God. Are you hungry for more? Do you want God to write his story through your life? I hope you do. Respond with hunger when we give you a chance to pray over you. But I want to give you 
a couple of things that emphasize how prepared you are for good works. In fact, uh, some of you like to get your cars fully loaded. I would have no idea what that looks like, or I don't know that I've ever had a fully loaded car, but you know the term. That means a, a model with all the bells and whistles on it, right? I'm telling you, not only did God create you, but God made you as a masterpiece, and when it comes to gifting you, you're fully loaded. How do I know that? When you read the Bible, we read this, God the Father is a gift giver. God the Son is a gift giver. God the Holy Spirit is a gift giver. How many know the entire Godhead gives gifts? I'm telling you, you're loaded with gifts right now. Or gifts that are even waiting to be released at the right season in your life. But the question is never that you're not gifted. Point number two, you're a special edition model. You know, car collectors look for vehicles that are unique, that are special edition. It means there's not very many of them. But we already affirmed this fact that you are absolutely unique. And how many of you know unique things do not are not subjected to any kind of comparisons? If, they're, if you're unique, there's nothing to compare you to. So isn't it cool that if you're truly unique in Christ Jesus, stop looking around and compare yourself with other people's gifting. In fact, look at what the Bible says. This is a great verse. This is um, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Why does God gift you with spiritual gifts? So that we can help each other. Why are you the way that you are with the passions that you have, with the gift mix that you have? It's very simple. Because God wants you to be an expression of his life and love to somebody else, to serve somebody else. So I want to encourage you all. Serving at a local church among your brothers and sisters isn't just like, oh, man, pastors must need more people out in the parking lot. That's not the spirit of this at all. How many of you know we want to just love people? How many of you had a first Sunday at Living Stones at one time or another? You had a first Sunday here. All right. All of us that are here should have had a first Sunday. All right. I'm not, this is not a trick question. Here's what I hope happened on your first Sunday. You were greeted. You were loved. You were shown through the labyrinth on how to get into the sanctuary. People talked to you. People were excited that you were here. Um, the worship team was ready. Children's people were ready to care for your kids. I mean, everything was laid out so that you could have the most incredible experience with Jesus that you could possibly have. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's why he gives us gifts to serve the people around us. They're not for us. They're not to show off. It's not about us. You know, I've had this discussion with my kids before. Whenever they're talented, maybe in a sport or music or whatever, I said, I said, don't let this go to your head. The reason you're fast is because God made you that way. The reason that you have good eye-hand coordination is because God gave you good eye-hand coordination. The reason that you're musically gifted is because God gave you a musical gifting to use for his glory. All of our gifts that we have, we can't boast in any of them because they're gifts. We got them from somebody else. That's why all of life is worship. Next point, very quickly here, the gifts aren't ours. We're simply stewards. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. The King James says, good stewards of the manifold or multifaceted gifts of God. What a cool picture. Let me encourage you, point number four here. I'm just doing two more points. You'll find your story when you, you you use your gifts to write somebody else's story. Sometimes people think, man, Lord, what are you doing? What about me? What about my gifts? Me, 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 me. How many of you know, If you, I've heard it said, if you ever find a turtle on top of a fence post, you know that it didn't get there by itself, right? How many of you know we're just turtles at the end of the day? We're just turtles sitting on a fence post. I could not be me 
If it was not for a whole bunch of people that invested and loved me and poured into me and shaped my life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you know you need to honor your upline of your story? Because you wouldn't be here if it was not for them. There are people in this room that led you to Christ. There are people in this room that encouraged you in a down moment. There are people in this room that helped you financially. There are people in this room that just spoke a word and believed in you and encouraged you and said, you know what, I see value in you. And it changed your life. Uh, this is what I'm talking about. You, We all have a massive upline. And then God gives us gifts. And then guess what? We also have a downline. This is why you being amongst God's people and being connected is so important. How many of you know sometimes your destiny is attached, your story is attached to somebody else's story? In fact, all the time. I joked around a while ago that I wouldn't, my daughter would not have her hubby unless I knew Dick and Susie Basta, who knew Rod Aguilar, and who knew Aaron Brown, and who came here to do a youth conference. And the moment this Cajun boy lays eyes on my daughter, sparks are going off, and the next thing I know, I'm a grandpa. I mean, that's about basically what happened, all right? So my point is, if I would not have been standing on this stage and see Dick Basta sitting about right over there one Sunday morning, and the Holy Spirit say to me, that man is in transition. And pick up a phone and call him, following the leading of the Holy Spirit. This marriage never would have happened. You know, I would not be going to Pakistan, I'll tell you that, if it hadn't been for certain people that God brings into our lives that connect us. I'm looking back at Dustin back there. If I would not have picked up a magazine called Church Executive Magazine, figuring out how do we get a new entryway? I don't know how to do this. And all of a sudden I come across Daniel's construction and I go, I'm just going to call these people. I don't know them from Adam. Next thing I know, we've we've got the greatest marriage going on here with this building. Just a phenomenal job. Uh, That was a divine appointment. And now I go hug the guy every day. All right? I mean, it's just amazing. Like, where did you come from? All right? This is God. There are people next to you right now that are part of your story and you don't even know it yet. I wish I could play that music right now that goes, woo. I mean, that, you know, that kind of eerie music. It's not, although it's not eerie, it's really exciting. This is why we have to love the people around us because they all are a part of the story that God's writing. Are you with me? Honor your upline. Invest and leave a legacy in your downline. You're, you're here right now because there are people who your story. You know, if Joel's testimony, his being vulnerable today, offered freedom and hope to about 50 people here that are dealing with the same thing. You with me? If you didn't come here today, you wouldn't have heard the story. You wouldn't have heard what God's doing in him. Now God wants to do the same thing in you. It's incredible. Let me close with this last point, number five. Paul says this to Timothy. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that I gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Here's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me for this Sunday. He said, you know what? We've had a lot of teaching on God the creator, God the caller, but God's also the one that does the chemistry. He's the one that puts together and and uniquely shapes you for an expression of his glory. And you got to hear this. Even as you are unique, there's only one of you. God has so gifted you that out of your uniqueness, his gifting gets expressed in absolutely unique ways. In other words, there's not a single person in this room that has the exact identical gift mix. It's pretty stunning, isn't it? So if you say, you know what, there's just no place for me in that church. That is a, that's the, listen to the accent. It's the accent of hell. It's the accent of Satan. 
All the accusations, you don't fit, you don't belong, you're not good enough. All those things go out the window when you understand that there's only one of you. You, by definition, belong. There's only one of you. The gifts that you have are absolutely necessary. Quit listening to the stinking devil and start believing that God has absolutely loaded you and graced you with amazing gifts and abilities to be expressed for such a time as this. Does this make sense to anybody? And what does the Bible tell us to do? Fan it into flame. How do you do that? Part of it is I think we just open our hearts and say, more, Lord, more, Lord. Anybody want more? You know how else you discover your gifts? You start stepping out and doing something, using your gifts, loving people, serving people. And God begins to stir things up in your heart. It's making sense to anybody. Here's what I want to do. I want to have our pastors and elders come up here and join me. And all we want to do is lay hands on you. All right, We just want to lay our hands and we say, more, Lord, stir it up, release gifting, God, Fan in the flame who this unique individual is, this person created in your image. God, use them for your glory. God, much fruit. We're just going to bless you, all right? Now, this is the official closing. So if you don't want more of God, more fruit, more fire, more gifting, just leave, okay? You're free. Go eat a hamburger. I don't care. But I'm messing with y'all. I know some of you have to go places. Be be released. I'm I'm messing with y'all. But if you're hungry for more and you want to fan something into flame, we're just going to put to practice what I just read. There's something about the laying on of hands where gifts are stirred up, where gifts are released. And uh, and we just want to put it into practice today, all right? So if that's you, hop up out of your seat right now. Come on down. We want to pray for you. The rest of you, have an amazing week. We love you. Be blessed. Let God use you in incredible ways. Let's worship.